With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Today's episode of Cross Up is brought to you by Cinch by Amerigas. Labor Day is right around the corner, and the fine folks at Cinch by Amerigas will not only deliver you a brand new propane tank, they'll take away your old one. Just head over to cinch.com, that's C-Y-N-C-H.com, enter the promo code CROSSINGBROAD, and for just $10, they'll take away your old propane tank and deliver a brand new one to the comfort of your home for just $10. Again, use the promo code CROSSINGBROAD at cinch.com, C-Y-N-C-H.com. And now, Crossed Up. Well, here we are, Bob Wankel. A second podcast this week. This is a first when there isn't breaking news for the Phillies. But we're de- we decided, we looked at it and said, you know what? This team's going to be in a playoff race for the remainder of this season. And there's no question about it. Even if they continue to be up and down as they've been, they're going to be in this race down to the final week or, you know, two weeks at least of the season. Um there's going to be a demand to talk about this team more frequently than just on Monday when we're on live on 610 ESPN. You know, people are going to want to hear what we have to say about the about the Phillies, you know, during the week. It's funny because you know, we talked about this last week on the last show on Monday. We didn't get a chance to talk about Charlie Manuel. We didn't get a chance to talk about Bryce Harper's Grand Slam because we got so caught up in the fact that the Phillies lost two out of three to the Padres. And we only have an hour when we're doing it live uh, on the radio. So here, doing a midweek version of the podcast, uh, we get an opportunity to really kind of catch up, talk about some things that might get missed come Monday. So I yeah, thought, like, you know, so, good, so you call, and I, right? so you and I are a little bit long-winded sometimes, and we we do the show on Monday, uh, you know, over in Philly. We do it over in the city on six ten, and it, it was weird. Like we got to five fifty eight, we looked up at the clock, and I felt like we were just kind of getting into it, you know. Yes. Like I, I felt <laughs> exactly. like we were just hitting our stride, and I went, "What, what do you mean we're done?" You know. So this is this is a good opportunity to kind of. Maybe pick up where we left off, and obviously we've had two more games to kind of uh, digest here now that, that we're recording again. And they were two very, um, you know, impressive wins that the Phillies put together up at Fenway Park this week. And uh, I have to tell you, especially after that San Diego series, I didn't see this coming. I don't think a lot of people did. And uh, you can well, downplay it all you want. You can say that this isn't the same Red Sox team as a year ago. I know that. But you're still talking about the Boston Red Sox. You're still talking about uh, Fenway Park and a, a lethal offense. And the Phillies pitching for two nights held them in check. It was it was extraordinarily impressive, in my opinion. Yeah, it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter who your opponent is. I mean, we've seen that with the Phillies this year. The Phillies have struggled with the worst teams in baseball. I mean, they got swept by the Marlins. They struggled against a Padres team that was nine games under 500 since the All-Star break. They looked terrible out. I mean, not that San Francisco is one of the worst teams, but they are a sub-500 team. They looked terrible out in San Francisco. So it doesn't matter who the opponent is. It really doesn't. Now, did I think that they would win both games? I didn't. Did I think they would lose both games? I didn't. I actually thought there was going to be a split. Um, and, and primarily because that first matchup was NOLA against Brian Johnson. 
And I, you look at that on paper and you say, boy, that's nine, one you have to get. Yeah, you can't yeah. lose that one. And the funny thing is, you know, the Phillies stake Nola to the 3 nothing lead in the first inning. And you're thinking like, OK, this is going to be cruise control. And then the bats just went silent. I guess yeah. the Red Sox didn't the do anything the for the final eight innings and then Did didn't nothing. do anything for, for really the first, what, four, five, four innings, four, five, five yeah, four innings last innings. night. Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah. So, like, so credit. So, I mean, so when you say impressive, Nola was really impressive. I mean, he did give up the home run to Jackie Bradley, but otherwise he was really good. Okay. And then uh, last night, the most impressive parts of the game to me last night were the bullpen and the manager. And I know people. Well, can, can you just say that again? I, I'm going to say it again. I'm going <laughs> to say it again because I know everybody's freaking out right now. Is something wrong with Anthony? The bullpen and the manager. Probably the two things that I criticize the most on this on this program. Both came up really big for the Phillies yesterday, and we'll yes. talk about them individually. So- Let's uh let's focus specifically on on last night's game. I mean, getting what you got out of Aaron Nola. I mean, at this point, I think you just kind of expect you expect that type of performance for him. But last night was the one where you said, "Okay, you know, this is uh, this is not a game that the Phillies have won very often this season." And and that's it, it. Sort of kind of caught me off guard, to be perfectly honest with you, especially the way the game started. And before we get to the bullpen, and before we get to Gabe Kapler, I, I kind of want to just talk briefly about. Drew Smiley, who he went three and two-thirds innings last night. He allowed five hits and three walks, and he wasn't very good. Anytime a starting pitcher fails to go four innings, uh, it would really be hard to kind of spin it like, hey, nice job. The only thing I'll say for Drew Smiley is this. He, it, he could have let that game get out of control. And he stranded a ton of base runners, and it, like it could have easily been five, six, seven, nothing. It could have been four, nothing after the end of the first inning, and that game would have been over. So, though he was not good, and uh, I know it sounds like I'm grasping for straws, and I don't really need to because I think there's a lot of positives to talk about here. I, I feel like it, it's it's just a strange. It was a strange game. I just feel like he did an okay job given the situation because that thing could have just gotten way, way out of control to the point where the bullpen wouldn't have had an opportunity to, to keep them in the game and, and Bryce Harper wouldn't have had an opportunity to hit the home run and Corey Dickerson wouldn't have been in position to get the key hits late. So, you know, a little bit of credit I think actually should go to Drew Smiley, though, I, you know, I, <laughs> they Very need little. more. They do need more out of him. Very little because, I mean, it, to be honest with you, I mean, if you look at it, I think he's given up 17 runs in his last 19 innings pitched. I mean, that's yeah. too much. right? Yeah, so and he's they, given and, up, uh, I believe, Seven home runs in uh, yeah. like 18, 18, 19 innings this yeah. season. Uh, I'm sorry, in August. If he's going to be a regular in this rotation, in this playoff push, he has to be better than he's been. Um, I, I do see what you're saying. I mean, he did get out of trouble a few times uh, last night. But, I mean, that's, I think that also speaks to the level that I'm talking about, about Gabe. You know, he pulls him with the bases loaded and, and two outs uh, in the fourth inning, and he had just struck a guy out. Um, I think it was Benintendi, right? That he struck out. Um, it was a left-handed batter. Might not. It was uh, whoever hit ahead of uh, Betts. Oh no! So that was Jackie Bradley. That's yeah. right. It was Jackie Bradley. Okay. So it was. Uh, so yeah, he had just struck struck out Jackie Bradley, and you're thinking to yourself, in most cases, you would say, well, the guy just struck a guy out. Okay, yeah, he's got bases loaded. He's only given up, a, you know, a couple runs. I mean, for geez, we really want to take the risk this early. I think Gabe, that was a make a decision on what you're seeing. And not off of anything else. And he saw that that Drew Smiley was struggling, 
He had struggled in the first. He struggled in the uh, not so much in the second, a little bit, but gave up the, I think he gave up the solo home run in the second. Uh, third inning was actually Smiley's probably his best inning, and in the fourth inning, he's in trouble again, right? So now it's like, okay, this guy's you know was touched for a run in two innings so far. Only had one clean inning, and now he's got bases loaded. Uh, he probably if if Jackie Bradley's not the batter and it's a right-handed hitter, he probably pulls him a batter sooner because yeah. he had because he because he had Jared Hughes ready to go. Um, and, uh, and so he makes the change. He lets him get through Bradley, and then Hughes comes up, and uh, Hughes comes in and gets the big out against Mookie Betts, uh, and that just starts the bullpen run. But that well, was, let me just, let good, me just say that's this. good work by Gabe there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let me just say this. Mookie Betts had a, a very comfortable at-bat against Drew Smiley to lead off the game, hard-hit ball, lead-off double. I think that Gabe understood that the game was in the hanging in the balance at that point in the, in the fourth inning. It, that was the high leverage situation of the game. If they come up and they they knock in two more runs there, like I said, that game's over. So I think Gabe identified we need to keep this game right here right now. And I also think that you have to consider that Aaron Nola went deep into the game yep. the previous night, and yeah, there was an off day built in today. Yep. So those things all lined up perfectly for Gabe to make that decision. And I, I said it to you before we, we got on the air. I said, all kidding aside, and I know that I've been pro-Gabe, and we've spent a lot of time debating uh, the effectiveness of the manager and how he handles the media and how he handles the clubhouse and, and all of those things. But I will, I will say this. And, and I truly mean this, and I don't mean to sound takey when I do, but I think that that was the best game of his two-year managerial career. And you're not wrong. Night. I th- I felt the same thing. I really did, I, and I felt it from the first inning. And, and I think that when you say he understood that that was the high-leverage moment, he did, but I think he understood the importance of the game in its entirety because in the first inning, they pulled the, they pulled the in, he pulls the infield in yeah. in the first inning of the game. Okay, and and I put a tweet out, and I, mean, I, I know you um, uh, you liked it or, or retweeted or whatever, um, where it said that you know I don't blame Gabe for doing this, but it it sends a message that maybe they don't have the confidence uh, in the offense right now to put up a lot of runs. You want to prevent there being a a bigger inning than just one run here in the first inning that you're pulling your infield. I mean, usually you don't. Usually you concede that, right? Yeah, usually absolutely. you're like, okay, it's only the first inning. We'll concede that. We'll take the trade the out for the run. And he didn't, and so that tells me that the guy's managing right from the bat, right off the bat, to say this game matters more than most, and that there was a plan in place, and the plan, and you know, not to say that the plan was for Drew Smiley to only pitch three and two thirds innings, but the plan was in place that if we need this bullpen tonight, we're going to go to it, we're going to play matchups because we can, because there was, like you had said, Nola gave them length, and they have an off day. On Thursday, so they had that in place to say, guess what? We we have everybody at our disposal. If we need multiple innings, we got them. Um, and 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 let's not let this game, let's not let this Boston offense take this game from us when we can try and stop it and 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 hopefully get back into it. Which, you know, you weren't sure the Phillies were going to produce the runs, but then you know Harper gets the big home run, and Corey Dickerson was the hero again uh, late in the game with a cut with the triple and the RBI single in the ninth. And you sit there and say, this was well handled all the way through. Yeah. All the way through. And And it really was. And kudos to the players, you know, for getting the job done. I mean, obviously the players do the work and and they get the job done and they they deserve praise too because they did a nice job. But the manager really had a good game plan for the game from start to finish. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I don't always see that. And I saw it right from the jump yesterday. And so you say when you see it, you got to say it. 
You can't sit there and just make pretend it didn't happen, right? Yeah, uh, I, I'm with you on that. Um, and, and, you know, obviously every game this team plays from here on out is going to be a big game. They all matter now, especially when you look at how tightly contested this, this wild card race is going to, to be down the stretch over the last five, six weeks of the season. That being said, last night's game specifically to me felt more important contextually. And I don't know if it's because they generated the momentum last week and then they kind of blew it, losing two out of three to San Diego. And it almost feels like they got one back last night. You know, like if you were to go through the schedule and say, well, they need to beat the Padres two out of three, and then they're, they're going to need to split with Boston. Correct. It's like they recovered that game that they lost over the weekend almost. And and so now you look at it and you go, they're six and two over their last eight games, and now they head to Miami. And I expect, and I know that everybody was saying it, and I, and I don't know if you read the website today or anybody that's listening read the website today, but I wrote a very snarky, I, like I, I came across like a total douche. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to lie about it. Like it was just like a, you know, like a fart noise, 400 word column about how Gabe Kapler handled the uh, loss after the uh, Sunday's loss in San Diego. And I said, you know, everyone was on him about how, you know, he's, he, promotes this this culture that that losing is is okay and it, it doesn't really matter and just as long as you try your hardest like a participation trophy type of situation and I just said you know obviously if if you want to say that and that's why they're losing games then what are you going to say now because those two wins probably their two of their most impressive wins of the season came on the heels of him going out and, and doing what he does and I I truly don't necessarily I really don't believe that because he did that on Sunday that they rallied around him and like had his back and won those two games but if you're if if people are going to say that it's why they're not winning games well then I'm going to take the other side of the issue and say oh well maybe it is why they are winning games when in reality I really just don't think it matters either way and it was just to troll simply a reaction out of people and it pissed a lot of people off and I got a lot of uh I actually had a couple emails which I very rarely get um and and people were like you know you totally totally don't get it and but I mean that that's kind of was the desired result I I think that this kind of proves the point like it's up to the players to play, and it's up to the manager to properly execute in-game situations, and it does not matter what he says in press conferences after the game. And I know that you don't totally agree with me on this, but I just felt like, well, this is a perfect opportunity to get the reaction because I just feel like, and, and Anthony, I don't know how you how you interpret this, but I just feel like you're fair about it, but I think that the media and this fan base is so far the other way that it sets it up and makes it easy for someone like me that backs the manager to retaliate and to, to kind of have this pushback type of mentality on this. Well, it, it, it does, although I will say you do stick your neck out by doing that. I mean, more so than than, than Yeah, because they could, very lo- they, they could very clearly lose two out of three to Miami this weekend. Like, they, they have done that before. Right. They were swept at home by the Marlins. Like, I get that. But you know what What I have in my back pocket? Like, I know I'm sticking my neck out. And, and I'm not, like, going, like, nah, 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 nah. Like, it's not that. It, I don't think the Phillies are even going to make the playoffs, by the way. It's, it's that I think the Phillies are about as good as they – 
I think the Phillies' record is as good as it could possibly be considering what this roster is. Like, if you look at this pitching staff, right? Like, you have Aaron Nola and nothing Nothing. else. At no point throughout the course of this season have they ever had two starters that you could remotely depend on going at the same time. And you've had this patchwork bullpen that, that has been just absolutely decimated by injury and an inconsistent lineup. Now, is some of that Gabe Kapler's fault? Probably. But when I look at this and I look at the talent level and I go, there's six games over 500. Like, this is about the the most I think you could get out of this team. Well, and, and especially because they, they really can't get to seven games over five. Yeah, yeah I think uh, I've, I've been, like, doing the count. I know that people are getting annoyed by this. They're like, oh, yeah, there's that tweet again. But I think we're up to 0-8 now since uh, Father's Day. The Phillies fell under seven games over 500 on Father's Day, and they had an opportunity on June 19th to get back over to seven games. And uh, since then, they've had, I believe they've had eight opportunities, and they've failed in all of them. So well, we will try once more. Once more into the breach, my yeah, friends. <laughs> to, to get that elusive seven games over 500. So, so yeah, so I, I, and, and I, think, I don't think that you're – it's okay to be cheeky with, with this. Because, look, you're coming off of two wins, right? You could be a little – you could be a little – show a little bravado um, at, at being a supporter of the manager, especially when, like you said, he managed the best game of his managerial career against the Boston Red Sox. Uh, on Wednesday, there's no, there's no question about it. I, 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 I dare anyone to come up with one where he did a better job, and I mean from from start to finish. Like I said, from the first inning, I thought he was pushing the right buttons and he did every one right along the way. Yeah, and because when when they've won games, very very rarely have I ever said like, "Damn, Gabe Kapler just got them that W." Yeah, you know, last night though, I said, "Well, you know, he really I, put them in good position." And and the thing of it is, is and I've and I've said this repeatedly. Managers don't win games. Managers lose games. But I, I, I have no problem saying that last night that the manager was very involved in winning that game. I mean, yes, the players have to win the game. The pitchers have to execute. The bullpen has to do the job and pitch five and a third innings of relief and get the job done against a very good Boston lineup, okay? That has to happen. Bryce Harper needs to hit the opposite field home run. That has to happen. The Red Sox need to have a, a crazy error, you know, <laughs> that kind of wild yeah. pitch and a wild yeah. bad throw to kind of help that along. That has to happen. Those things need to all come together, but – the manager pushing the right buttons allows that to happen. Okay, so the, so the, at at some point you have to sit there and say, yeah, he's part of that win. There's no doubt about it. Um, so the the thing of it is, is you hope that this is this is going to be a thing going forward. Now, here's the, here's what the way I look at it. You got the Marlins coming up this weekend. The Marlins stink. We know that, but the, we know the Phillies have struggled with them a little bit this year. You go back-to-back games with Velazquez and Eflin this weekend, and neither one of them can go deep into a game. So how much can you rely on this bullpen to continue doing what it's doing? And, again, I, I criticize Matt Klintak all the time. I think he's been a poor general manager for the most part. And yet these scrap heap pickups for the bullpen have been decent of late. Uh, Mike Morin, Blake Parker, and uh, who am I forgetting? Um, Jared, Jared Hughes. Hughes. I, I think that they have their whip is like 0.7. Yeah, um, I, I will say this. Since they, just talk since about Phillies. Just talk about each of these guys briefly. Uh, Jared Hughes from like 2014 through 2018 was was, uh, was good, was really outstanding, good. and he struggled a little bit this year. And a big part of that is his home run rate has doubled almost uh, from the last couple seasons to this year. And you know he 
he had said that there were some things that he felt that he was in the process of fixing and, and when he first when he first uh, came here last week. And I know he gave up a pretty big home run on Sunday there. It was obviously the game winner uh, late in that one to the Padres. But he bounced back in a huge spot, got a critical out in the fourth inning last night, and then threw a clean fifth. And he's a guy that that is succeeded at the major league le- level for a, a good amount of time. And it's not a bad pickup. I think that he's a guy that has a chance to be pretty effective. Parker, you know, is... He's had experience closing. He's pitched in big situations. And he's had some productive seasons. The guy that... That has stunned me is Mike Morin. I mean, he, the the Twins needed bullpen help, and he basically was cast off from Minnesota. And you said, well, if a team needs bullpen help, and they're getting rid of a guy, what on earth? Why on earth would they do that? And and he's been, he's been really good with the Phillies so far. If there was one guy that I'd say might be out pitching what he truly is, it's probably Morin. Um, but he's been he's been a godsend for them. Yeah, he has. And, and I'll, I'll say this. I mean, and at the risk of, of this being negative, I, I don't mean it to be negative, but is it possible that guys like Parker and Morin are, you know, switching leagues and so you don't have as much of a book on them as far as facing them? I mean, you can watch video and, and know what they throw and, and look at their numbers, and that's all great. But, I mean, as far as actually standing at the plate and facing these guys – until you get an opportunity to see them a few, you know, a couple times, few times, um, y- you might not really know how to handle them as a batter. So I think that that I think that that could play into a little bit their early success. Um, I think what the Phillies have to hope is is that you know once they start playing teams, you know, repeatedly here in September, the the Atlantas and the and the Mets and uh, and the Nationals, or not the Nationals, uh, who do they play? They play somebody else twice in the last month of the season. That it doesn't start to catch up to them a little bit because they, they, they the hitters know, now know them a little bit better, right? So that's the, that's the one thing that you got to hope for. Um, but so far, so good. And, and, you know, and I, you know, I, I looked at all the – Jared Hughes I kind of liked because I know what he's done. And, you know, okay, he's having a – just having an, a slightly off year. So I thought that that's, that was a worthwhile pickup. I didn't like the other two as pickups at all. I thought that they could have done better uh, making a small trade at the deadline. And so far, I've been wrong on that. I think that those two guys have been good so far. I'm not convinced that it's going to hold up. But at the same time, until it, until it goes wrong, we, we shh, keep well, the, quiet the about one it, thing right? that, that's helped Morin, and I mean, he's only allowed 11 hits in 14 and two-thirds innings, but he hasn't walked a batter with the Phillies. I mean, and, and so we talked about the strikeout rate. When they acquired him, I'm like, well, you know, there's just not a lot of ceiling with this guy. I mean, he's striking out 4.4 batters per nine with Minnesota this season, and that's up to 6.1. I mean, that's, that's no good. He's a contact pitcher, and, you know, you want guys that can miss bats late in games in big spots, and that's the limitation with Mike Morin. But at the same time, you can kind of live with that lower K per nine rate if – you're not going to walk anybody, you know, and, and that's been a big part of his success. And it's a, a, the reason, primary reason why he's a 0.75 whip right now with the Phillies in almost 15 innings. So, you know, like I said, is there going to be some regression there? Probably, but he's been huge and, and he's really helped them win some key games since his arrival. I will say this. I have probably been Matt Clentak's biggest critic. You know, if you listen to me talk about Gabe Kapler, you know that I'm, I kind of am in the coach's corner and all that stuff. But I, I have repeatedly criticized the general manager for for his failings. If the Phillies do make the playoffs, 
this bullpen will probably be in this revamped bullpen that they've kind of just picked the pick guys up off the scrap heap essentially will will be a, a major reason why and at some point you would have to kind of say well, well damn like you do have to get you have to give the general manager a little bit of credit for that and the way that these guys are pitching right now I actually had this thought the other day I said you know kudos to Matt Klentak for this, you know, and, and, and again, we're not at the point where we're going to take a victory lap here or anything like that. I mean, we've got a long way to go, but you consider where this bullpen was four or five weeks ago and where it's at now. I mean, it's, it's leaps and bounds better. No, hands down. And I don't, I can't disagree with you. I mean, the results are there and you can't argue with the results. Um, I, I I'm still gonna like you just said uh, I you know I'm I'm gonna hold out a little bit you know 15 innings is is not a season make right um let's let's wait and see what happens but so far so good uh, breather <sighs> yeah this is the, the the bullpen is surviving the starting pitching has been. I don't know. I don't even know what to say outside. I mean, Jason Vargas has been okay, keeping which is interesting for, for five uh, innings. I, I don't know. Maybe I missed this, but uh, I'm a little bit surprised that he's not starting this weekend in Miami. I, I totally am on board with getting Aaron Nola on four days and, and making him available at every chance you can. I, I, I get that, but I, I am a little bit surprised that we're seeing Zach Eflin and not Jason Vargas. I suppose without really looking at this, and I'm I'm not going to lie to you, I haven't. I suppose they just like the matchup of, of the righty going against that lineup. And, and I don't know. I haven't looked at Vargas's splits against the Marlins. Perhaps he struggled with them this year. I, I, I'm i not really sure why we're not seeing him this weekend. Yeah, I, I don't have an answer for that either. Other than um, maybe they just they want to see um, Vargas go against uh, Pittsburgh, right? Because that's, that's who comes yeah. in after that. And Pittsburgh's got, Pittsburgh's got some lefties. Correct that are in their lineup right and that's that's a you know that's a lineup that's probably a better matchup for Vargas and that's the only thing I could I could think um yeah I mean I want to be fair here I I don't want to say like oh it's a terrible move because Zach Eflin's been struggling I'm sure there there's some some thought to this but it's uh it's interesting because Zach Eflin's going to be a key here. I think if they can get and, – and one thing I'll say about Zach Eflin is he's shown the capability of being able to put together a five- or six-start stretch where he's not just a functional starting pitcher, but he's he can be well above average. We've seen it this year. We saw it last season. And then he puts together these stretches where he's simply terrible. If they can get the good Zach Eflin down the stretch here, if they can figure out a way to, to just – tap into whatever it was earlier in the season that had him going and they can do that for this last month then the Phillies really have a shot but it can't just be Aaron Nola and then five innings of two runs from Vince Velasquez and then three coin flips it's it's going to be impossible because the one thing that that became a reality and it's very evident this week and I know that they've won six of their last eight and the offense did some good things last night but this offense is not going to be able to just simply, you know, storm its way through the last five weeks and carry this team to a playoff berth. It's not going to happen. They're going to have their nights. We're going to wonder if Charlie Manuel has a magic touch. We're going to feel really good about what we're watching, and then it's going to be followed up 
by what we saw for five innings last night, what we saw for eight innings the night before, what we saw on Saturday and Sunday against the Padres. There's just too much of that. There's too much inconsistency. So it's going to be on the rotation to step up. The bullpen's been better. The offense has showed sides of life. Now the rotation has to take that step too. Yeah, I agree. And and I think that that's why, you know, I, I could sit here and, and say this with some confidence that this is a little bit smoke and mirrors that the Phillies are doing it with. And good good for them. Good on them for doing that. Um, but when you look at it, you got six with the Mets, seven with the Braves, a five-game series in Washington. I mean, that's that's some firepower. I mean, and not to mention you have three in Cleveland, and you know, in the ne- and then next to last week of the season, um, this is this is not going to be an easy September. Um, I think this is the stretch right now. You know, getting those two wins against Boston, and you got three in Miami, three against Pittsburgh, who's kind of out of it. Then a good series with the Mets, and then four with the Reds, who are kind of out of it, you know. But then, then it hits, right? Then, then the, then the, 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 the real gauntlet run happens. And and I want to talk a little bit about you mentioned, you know, Nola pitching every fourth day, because I want to throw something at you, Bob. So the way that they have it set up, okay, he's going to pitch Sunday against the Marlins. Then he would pitch. I'm just going to go through them real quick because there's only seven of them, I believe. Um, Sunday against the Marlins, four days rest. Starts the pitches the first game of the home series against the Mets. Okay, good. You want him pitching against the Mets. Then he goes and he pitches uh, the third game of four in Cincinnati, which also gets him to pitch the cl- uh, which lines him up to pitch the first game of the series against the Braves. So he'll skip the series against the Mets in New York, but he pitches the first game against the Braves. Certainly more important to pitch against the Braves than against the Mets. I agree. Um, then he gets four days rest, pitches the first. I- of is two. it? <laughs> yes. I think so. Against, I mean, the Mets to me right now are like the that's the team you have to go get. Well, yeah, but but the Braves are a better lineup. Uh, yeah, better lineup. Yeah, that, I mean that's to me that's what I'm looking okay. at. Right? right. I mean the I Mets Mets are the Mets are a team you have to beat, but the offense has to beat the Mets. Yeah, the Mets I is pitching you. all pitching. Okay, all right. So then then he pitches against Boston in one of the one of the two games when the Red Sox come to Philly. Then he lines up to pitch again in Atlanta against the Braves. Doesn't pitch against Cleveland. Pitches one of the two doubleheader games against the Nationals. And then here's where it's interesting to me. The final start of the season is lined up to pitch. Aaron Knoll is lined up to pitch the last game of the season against the Marlins. Now, someone would, someone would sit there and say, well, if the Phillies have a playoff spot locked up, they won't throw Aaron Knoll that last game, and he'll be ready to go and pitch for the wild card uh, <laughs> against whoever, right? Okay, oh, great. Sounds good. I like, I like the plan. But what if they need that last game? What if you need that last game to get in? Are you throwing Aaron Nola in that game when you have a 40-man roster? Yes, you have to get in. You just you have to get in. And then what do you do in the one-game playoff? Yeah, against, you know what they're going to the do. On <laughs> Let me tell team. you what they're going to do. They're <laughs> going to – I can actually answer this question for you, and I am fully confident. I'll bet anything. They will use five different pitchers in a one-game wild-card playoff. Why not do it the other way around? because they're going to put a priority on the fact of saying we have to get in and we're, we got to throw our best pitcher to get there. Like that's what they're, I understand. I get what you're saying. The weaker lineup, it's the Marlins. They're 35 games under 500. By the time that game occurs, it'll probably be 45 games under 500. Totally understand it. I think the Phillies from the, from an optic standpoint, want to make the postseason. feel like they need to make the postseason. There's going to be more pressure on them in that game. I'm telling you, I think that what they'll do is they'll throw Aaron Nola on that Sunday. If they win and they get in, then they're going to go 
and and just throw the whole kitchen sink at the Nationals in that one game and playoff. I, and I knew you were going to say that, and I'm glad that you said what you said, because I'm going to sit here and tell you, okay, as a as a baseball observer, as somebody who wants to see the Phillies win, that I would rather see them throw their five pitchers against the Marlins and something go wrong and they don't get in then throw Aaron Nola against the stinking Marlins and have to use five pitchers against Washington while Washington throws Scherzer against you. Yo, let me just say this, man. If, that, if that's game. the case, though, right, like if that's what happens, if I'm Gabe Kapler and I have to make that decision, then I want assurance that my job security is not going to be based on making the playoffs. Because like that's what that's people are, that's what people are that's saying fair. right now, right? Like, oh well, if Gabe doesn't make the playoffs, he's out of here. Well, guess what? If if my job is dependent upon making the postseason, then I'm throwing my best guy. <laughs> so I, yeah, I mean that's, that's a conversation. Fair. That's fair, but I also don't think it's the best thing for the team. Yeah, I, I understand it. I totally get what you're saying. You you got to go beyond the optics, and I, and I know this is something we'll we'll probably dive into far deeper if 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 it's starting to show up, and we're in that final week, and we're looking at it and saying. Geez, it's going to come down yeah. to that closing that final Sunday. What the heck do we do, right? I mean, we're going to talk about it in more detail. But six weeks out, just kind of thinking about it, I'm sitting here saying to myself, if I'm put in that position, you're right. I get the, I get the whole thing about you know certainty of keeping your job. Fine, but if I'm an organization, if I'm making an organizational decision, it's not about just getting into a one game playoff. You got it. You got to do better than that. Because if I'm, if I got to come out after who pitches after Nola, who's who's next on the so it's it's Smiley, right? Would be next in the, in yes. the list, right? Am I saying, all right, I'm going to start? <laughs> I Drew can tell Smiley. you that Drew Smiley will not be starting that game now. <laughs> that, <laughs> but that who is? That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I, I would think if like you actually were going to use a starting pitcher, one of the other four guys, it, it would it would either be Vargas or Velasquez. Velasquez, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Well, all right. So, real quick, um, let me just let me just uh, speaking of Vargas, I wanted to get back to him real quick. So, he's uh, made two starts against the Marlins this season. He's only pitched ten innings. In those ten innings, uh, the Marlins are hitting three seventeen with a nine ninety nine OPS against him. He has a seven two zero ERA in those two starts, and so that may have something to do with why you're not seeing Jason Vargas this week against the Marlins. Oh, well, let's look historically, though, Bob. We can't just look at the most recent stuff. Ow. We got to look at it all. Time. We can't. You can't just say somebody's <laughs> how a team's played against lately if they're hot or not. No, yeah. that's not important. You got to yeah. look at all time. I see what you're doing there. I see what you're doing there. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I don't know. And the one thing I didn't look up was what their right-left splits are. But I would imagine that there's probably something to that as well. You're, you're probably right. You're probably right. And, and like I said, I think you know the Pirates have a more lefty-heavy lineup. Um, although one less person with Dickerson now on the Phillies, but um, they, they are kind of left left handed, and I think that that's probably a better matchup. You have him throw Monday against the Pirates than Sunday. Against the so since we started talking a little bit about the postseason, let me just throw this out at you, and, and we kind of I like to take your uh, take your temperature every once in a while, uh, and we really haven't done this exercise, and, and really because it just seems so not relevant or irrelevant I guess I should say okay the Phillies like let me let me run you through this right now mm-hmm. the Washington Nationals if if you believe like fangraphs uh postseason probabilities the Nationals are at 90.5 to make the postseason uh 90.5 percent the Mets are at 47.3 percent 
and then the Phillies are at thirteen point four percent. It went up. Annals. Yeah, it's it's going up a little bit. <laughs> and then in, if you go over into the Central, um, the Cubs are seventy nine percent. Cardinals forty eight and a half. Brewers fifteen point six. So they're kind of down there in the Phillies range. And then the NL West teams really don't factor in. Fangraphs has no confidence in the Diamondbacks or Giants. So. You know, they kind of have, like, the Phillies in the fifth spot out of all these teams jockeying for a playoff spot. And I think that their projections are a little bit um, harsh. Like, I think that there's a, in my mind, there's better than a 13.4% chance that the Phillies make the postseason. I'd say it's, like, more in, like, the 25% range just in just in terms of, like, the eye test aspect of it. And I know that they're using specific numbers in order to, to come up with these projections. Do you... Are you somewhat confident that they have a, a, a legitimate shot to do this? So here's what I'll tell you where that comes from. Um, I, 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 like I said, I think they're going to be in it to the final week. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they're going to fall short. Um, but do they have a chance? Of course they have a chance. They're only a game and a half out of a playoff spot, right? But the, the thing of it is, and I, say this in, and I say this in hockey a lot because – you know, you always you always look at I always look at the standings and we talk about it. You know, Russ Russ and I were talking last year when the Flyers had that nice little run and we're like, oh, Russ is like, oh, they're going to make the playoffs. And I said they're not going to make the playoffs, Russ. And I, the reason is is because it's really hard when you have several teams kind of bunched together to leapfrog a bunch of teams or to kind of you know not have it doesn't always jockey as much as you think it does, and to be you know, two, three games out, which Phillies are a little bit better than that, but to be in that range, it actually takes a lot of things to go right because you need multiple teams to keep losing when you're winning, and when you're losing, you need those teams to also lose and not win. So because there's so many teams involved in the mix, it makes it harder. Well, then you say, well, okay, well, then how does Fangraphs have such a huge disparity between, let's say, the Mets and the Phillies, who are tied? How come the Mets are 47% and the Phillies are 13%? Um, again, I think it really just comes down to the pitching. In, in it, I think it's primarily based in the starting right. pitching. It, it's yes. pitching. It's really what it comes down to. So, and, and that's, and in all honesty, that's what baseball, that's what baseball gambling is tied to, right? We all sit there and we look at it. Boy, how about that last? I wanted, I wanted to talk about. I would make make the one last thing by the oh, way. Oh, I know you're gambling. Yeah, I, gambling. Yeah, we'll get angle. to that. Holy okay, smoke. Uh, but uh, but no, I mean, I mean, everything is tied to pitching. So when you look at odds. Um, of, of, you know, odds for gambling, odds for making the playoffs, whatever, it's all going to be tied into that. And then you factor in the fact that the Phillies have the toughest schedule of all of the teams based off of opponents' winning percentage of all the teams that are left competing for the wild card. It, you see why the percentage is so much lower, not to mention the fact that, you know, hey, their run differential is really bad. It's, a, it's, it's, you know, they're minus, what are they, minus 14, um, you know, in comparison to all these other teams who are, who are plus and plus a lot. So the Phillies have been a little bit on the lucky side in, in that regard. Um, so I think that's why the number is, is so low. But I also don't think it's it's a foregone conclusion that they're just, ah, forget it, they're not, I'm out, they're not going to be in, they're not going to make the playoffs. They have a shot. Let me say this. This weekend, they they have to win this series. This is so well, yes. this is such yes. an important series. And not just because the Marlins stink, but check this out. Uh, you have Washington and Chicago playing each other head to head. You have Atlanta and the Mets playing each other head to head. You have Arizona and Milwaukee playing each other head to head. Like these teams are going to beat up on one another this this weekend, and, and the Phillies the have. Play? 
And the Cardinals, I believe, have oh, they have Colorado at home, which Colorado stinks. They're eleven games under five hundred, but they're a goofy team that can kind of just get you on yeah. any given night too. Yep. So I mean, this is it sets up for the Phillies where if they can win, and I mean really, what I really mean is sweep the Marlins, then I think you start to say. This is getting serious now. They go down, win two out of three, kind of do their thing. They're, they're going to stay probably one to two games out, and that's fine. But if they can get all three of these games, they're probably going to pull themselves back into the lead for that second wild card position. And now all of a sudden you say, okay, we're a little less than five weeks, right at five weeks left, and, and let's see what you got now. And like they really will have a shot at that point. But but, but here's here's this is this I'm gonna make I'm gonna make the point I'm gonna give you an example of the point that I was just trying to make prior to you saying that. So let's say the Phillies do sweep right, and then they're 69 and 60. Okay, and you say ah oh, they're right back in it. All right, Cardinals are playing Colorado all right, at home. Uh, let's say the Cardinals take two out of three. Yeah, well, the Phillies are in the game. Yeah, they only the Phillies are still. Behind the car, sweep the Marlins nine games over five hundred for the first time in over two months. Still don't have that number two wild card, as, right. and they will have at that point. At that point, if that's what happens, they will have won nine of eleven. The Phillies, okay, that would be that would be considered a bit, little bit of a hot streak, right? Yeah, Fair I to mean, say? we haven't seen anything like that this year. Yeah, right. Okay, so that would if they sweep the Marlins, they will have won nine of eleven. And even then, they would need the Cardinals to get swept by the lowly Rockies in order to jump into that second wild card spot. Yeah, the, I guess the series that I really have my eye on will be that Washington Chicago series. Well, of course, that that's going to be help. Yeah. that's going to be interesting. And as we're, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. That's that's what we're looking at. So, uh, and then there are a couple games here on Thursday night too that are that are in play as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. And and I will say this. I, Last year, this time we were doing this podcast, and this is right when they started to kind of um, hit the skids. Like this is where things started to really fall apart, and it was becoming obvious, even though they were mathematically hanging around, that they had no shot. I'm encouraged, at least at this point, three weeks into August, that we're we're talking about a team that is has played better recently, and has a chance like has a legitimate chance here to do something it's not like it would take a miracle even though Fangraph seems to think it would take a miracle but that being said it's not going to take a miracle but it's going i agree with you this is an uphill climb for sure it it is it's tough because you need you need players to play above their expectation level and i don't just mean i don't just mean that i mean we say well the hitters obviously you know you expect this offense to be better than it's been all year and you're starting to see harper's really you know this is his time of year right now right and this is when he's at his best and and he's been great and and real muto's been good and segura has been good and dickerson's been a, a nice addition to the lineup um uh, your perfect segue into what well, I know. I know where we're. About. Yes, I know where we're headed. Um, but you really, and, and we'll get to Reese Hoskins in a second. Um, but but you really need the the pitching staff aside from Aaron Nola to to suddenly, not just suddenly, to sustain a, a an ability to pitch at a level above what you think they should pitch at as as these as this group is collectively looking at them. Say, oh yeah, they're they're mediocre at best. They need to be better than mediocre for a, for an extended period of time in order for it to happen, and that's why I think there's so much 
you know, eh, ain't going to happen. But let's get to Reese Hoskins. I know you want to talk about Reese. Yeah, he got so, a double yesterday. Charlie yeah, clapped yeah, for him on the on the top step of the dugout. It was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, yeah, Reese Hoskins has been terrible in the second half of this season. He's hitting 176 with a 677 OPS. He's only slugging 344. In 36 second-half games, it's obviously terrible. Then you go into August even more specifically, and he's hitting 127 this month with a 222 slugging percentage. He has the worst batting average since the All-Star game of any qualified hitter in Major League Baseball. Right, and we've talked about him specifically on um, our last two shows on uh, 610 ESPN, and we talked about the launch angle and how there's been a ton of weak contact and a lot of infield pop-ups and the launch angle, and we, we went into all of that. And so I don't think we need to really go down that road again. Uh, well, let's have a, a specific conversation about how Reese Hoskins is being utilized. So mm-hmm. Gabe Kapler last week put Reese Hoskins in the leadoff spot, and I know that that raised a lot of eyebrows. There are a couple different things that that I look at here, and I know that you uh, do not agree with me on this. So let me just kind of lay out my um, my stance, which I think is similar to the manager's stance on this, and you can kind of explain what your concerns are, and we'll go back and forth on this. So I think the Phillies believe that Reese Hoskins belongs in the middle of the order. They want him to hit third or fourth in an ideal situation, uh, but that has simply that is not working out. I mean, when you consider the stretch that he's going through right now, he's just been he's been atrocious. I mean, Reese Hoskins, it's amazing the Phillies have gone on the run that they've had with him playing so poorly, and it's a testament to what Harper and Real Muto and some of these other guys have done to kind of keep them afloat. That being said, the one thing that Reese Hoskins has been able to do this month is draw walks. And if you go back to our conversations from last year, you know how I feel about walks. Uh, you know, Carlos Santana kind of drove me nuts because I looked at a 229 batting average and he left me wanting a little bit more. I would prefer that Reese Hoskins had a, you know, 800 plus OPS with a 280 batting average and, and that he wasn't achieving this through, you know, leading the National League in walks. I believe that putting the ball in play and hitting balls into gaps and singles moves runners more, that it creates more action and it increases your likelihood to score. So that's that's me acknowledging that, that the walk is not the end-all be-all. But given the fact that he is not hitting at all, he's certainly not driving the baseball at all, the one thing that he has been able to do effectively still is get on base. And so what the Phillies wanted to do was move him to the top of the order so that he could use his ability to work counts, work pitchers, and draw walks, and hopefully that would make him more comfortable, and in turn he would finally start to heat up. Now he hasn't since he's been in the leadoff spot. He has not hit, but he is still drawing walks, and and to that point, in 19 games this month, he's drawn, oh, I believe 17, 17 walks. Yes. Uh, so in 19 games, 17 walks. And despite hitting 127 in the month of August, he has a 317 on base percentage. And over the last two games in Boston, he was on base six times in 10 plate appearances. And he scored three of the Phillies' eight runs. So like, my thing is this, where do we hit him if not in the leadoff? And, and to me... I don't care that he's not fast, that he can't steal bases, because Major League Baseball's not played that way. And if he's not going to hit for power, then I don't want him in the three, four, five spots. Could you hit him seventh or eighth? I guess so. But, again, I would rather, if, if he's going to be able to get on base two, three times a game, then, then hit him leadoff. Who the hell cares? And that's kind of where I'm at on this. 
Is he really going to get on base two, three times a game? I don't know. He got on three. I mean, you got to start somewhere, right? Like, and he has been on okay, base so in each of the last two nights. He was on base three times. I, I got it. He's he's walked once a game. In in this in the six times he's uh, let let off a game this year, so he's walked six times. Okay, you know his on base percentage again. It's small sample. It's only six games. It's still lower than it was when he was batting fourth. And yes, he was better. He was hitting better when he was batting cleanup. I get it, you know. And then he started to go south. And but, I mean, if you look at it, twenty-three games not batting cleanup, he's terrible. He's in in those twenty-three games when he's batting anywhere other than the cleanup position, he's fifteen for uh, eighty-three. That's not good. So this, to me, though, does this is this about him not being comfortable when he's not in the cleanup spot, or is I, it that I, he's no, just a, a friggin' mess right now? No, I don't know. I don't know if that has anything. You know, look, I, he's probably most comfortable in the cleanup spot. We've had this conversation yeah, before. Yeah, and, I know. You know, and I believe that I believe that's a thing. I think that players like the, the continuity of of batting in the same spot or you know being used in the same inning as a relief pitcher, whatever the case. They like that continuity. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously they're adaptable. It's just a lineup spot, right? But there is a mental approach I think is a little bit different. And I think you do get pitched differently in different spots in the order or depending on who's around you in the lineup. And and when I look at, at Reese Hoskins and I sit there and I say to myself, you know, if he's, if he's really not going to – if he's not going to produce and, you, and all you're saying is, like, well, he, he's going to at least walk, so maybe he's going to get you on base. Okay, so 37% of the time, let's just say, right, he's going to walk for you. He's going to get you on base. Eh, is that enough when it's when of those 37%, you know, 80% of that 37% is a walk? I don't know. I well, don't here's the other component to this. If not him, then who, right? Well, see, because, like, Cesar Hernandez, like, I know he's got some speed, but not really, and he doesn't get on base enough. And Gene mm-hmm. Segura is not a prototypical leadoff guy. And Bryce Harper well, – my- I don't really want leading off. Corey Dickerson's my answer for you. Okay. All right. And that's, my, that's what I would do. I would lead off Corey Dickerson. He's a professional hitter. He's going to hit around 300. Not exactly. He might be just below in the 290s or whatever. But he's going to hit around 300. He'll get on base well enough. Yeah, um, and, and you know what? I, that top spot. I might ask this. If, if we're still having this conversation, like if this is still a thing throughout the weekend – uh, I'll probably ask that question when, when they come back to town next week because I, I would imagine if you sat down the Phillies or you know they, their decision makers, whether that be somebody in the front office or the coaching staff, they'd say, yeah, we would actually like Corey Dickerson to hit leadoff and we would like Reese to hit fourth, but we'd also like Reese to not be slugging 222 over his last 18 games. So I think that the Phillies are just simply – rolling with what they're seeing right now. And it's not like we're talking about Reese Hoskins going through a tough six-game stretch. You're this right. is going on long enough now where I think they say, like, well, what's the one thing he's doing? He, he's drawing walks and he's working counts, so let's put him at the top. I, I think in an ideal world, the Phillies absolutely would hit Dickerson one, like you're saying, and, and hit Hoskins four. I think that's well, what they want to do. So here's, so here's the thing. But, here, but here's the thing. We talk about this all the time. Um, you know, obviously, when you're the leadoff hitter, you're only guaranteed to lead off once, right? And then after that, it's just yeah. kind of how the lineup rolls, all right? But the one thing about batting leadoff means you're going to get more plate appearances than anyone else just because the way the lineup turns over. You're always going to have at least one more plate appearance than the rest of the lineup uh, unless, you know, the lineup, you know, gets through a second, you know, gets through behind you. 
So if that's the case, why do you want to put a guy who is struggling to hit in that spot? Put a guy there who will who will hit, who will get on base, who can be productive. And then you put – I'm not saying that Hoskins has to go back to four. I mean, ultimately, that's where I think he belongs. But if you want – put him at five. Okay, and, and you know what? Put him at and, six. And that's fine. You don't have to, he doesn't have to go seven or eight. I don't think you need to put him that far down. But put him at five or six to kind of get it back. You know, lower pressure spot in the lineup, whatever the case might be. And then you figure it out from there. But you use the guys that are going to bat the most are going to be the guys that are going to that you're going to count on the most. And I think that that's when you you know right now the who's hitting for you right now, Dickerson, Harper, Romuto, oh, okay, well, Segura. So, so they hold need on to one be your second. Top though. four guys so, in some order. So hold on one second. I, just two things, and I, I understand what you're saying. There are two different components to this. Number one, I, I'll be interested to see what they do tomorrow night with the Marlins. Because, again, Hoskins on base three times each of the last two games. Do they just say, well, you know, maybe he's finally starting to make some progress? Maybe. So let's just try this a little bit longer. The other thing is, though, that it, it would it's false to say that Corey Dickerson's been hitting lately. He was two for five last night, and he had two really big hits. But he was in the middle of a two for 27 stretch himself. So it's yeah. not like, I mean, you know... That's that's the other component of this. Corey Dickerson, ideally, I agree with you, is a good hitter. I think that, you know, you look at his season stats, it makes sense. I think the Phillies would like to hit him lead off, but he was in the middle of a, a pretty brutal stretch himself. So there just isn't, like, an ideal scenario here. And and, the, and then the other aspect of it, too, is and I, it seems like in recent weeks they've been more – they've been paying more attention to the right-left combos. Again, you hit Hoskins leadoff, you go right, Harper, you know, in the two-hole left. It looks like they really want to try to stagger that, uh, and they've been, they've been almost making yeah. a point of it in recent games. Then I, I hear you. I, I totally get what you're saying, and I don't even necessarily disagree with you, but I, you know, I, I do understand the other side of this as well. I, I get it, and I know Dickerson's not an on-base guy. He's just he's, He never has been. I mean, he doesn't walk a ton. I think the, his career high in walks for a season is 37. I mean... Right, so he does, yeah. he doesn't walk a lot, okay, um, but yeah, you could still go left, right, left. You could still go, you could still go Dickerson. I I would I would still bet Segura too. Um, I would go Dickerson, Segura, Harper, Real Muto as my top four at this point until Hoskins figures it out. And then yeah, I know. Okay, maybe you don't want to go right, right. So maybe you bat somebody else in that five spot. Like I mean, I don't know. Cesar Hernandez is not a number five hitter, but I mean, I would go right, right. I don't, I don't have a problem going right, right there. And then go Cesar six, Kingry seven. And then whoever is going to be eighth. I mean, Hazley, whoever, whoever you're batting in the eighth spot. Um, that it's one thing that, yeah, I mean, that, that I, certainly continues with this team. They just, they can't find, they can't find the leadoff guy though. You know, like, there's just not a guy yeah, that you no, can plug I, in there every night and say, this is an ideal situation. No, I, I get it. I get it. But, I mean, so that, then go with who's going. I mean, all right, so three guys are going right now. Those three guys have to bat in the top four, and they are. Yeah. To, their, to, to Gabe's credit, putting out the lineup, Harper, Real Muto, Segura are all batting in the top four in the lineup. I just think that – I think Segura is more of a guy who's going to get you – get hits. He's not, a, he's not an RBI guy, even though he's got, a, he's got a bunch of batting in that four spot. I mean, the four spot is – historically an RBI position in the lineup. So if you're going to get hits, you're going to drive people in usually when you're batting in that spot. So that's why yep. he's gotten them with a couple of doubles. But I would I would flip it. I really would. I would I would put Segura 2 and Real Muto 4 and let Real Muto be the guy who's driving everybody home and let Segura get on base. Let him get his hits. I that's hear all. You. That's all what right. I would. Well, do. we'll see how it plays out this weekend. Um 
let's see if we can kind of rapid fire through a, a couple questions that that we got on Twitter here. Okay. Uh, so first one, <laughs> somebody asked, "What do you think of Gabe Kapler?" Uh, <laughs> first question we'll look at: forward thinking. But what are your thoughts on Corey Dickerson? Does he make prospects like Moniak or Hazley expendable in an offseason trade for a frontline arm? Well, so Corey Dickerson is a free agent at the end of this season. I don't see any scenario in which the Phillies re-sign Corey Dickerson unless he goes on some type of crazy tear and leads them into postseason glory. Uh, but I don't think Corey Dickerson's back in 2020. Yeah, probably not. Although, I mean, to be fair, he is a, a the kind of guy who you wouldn't mind having as the actual fourth outfielder, right? As a guy who can come in and, and play when you need him, a good left-handed bat off the bench. Um He's making eight point five this year, uh, so I mean you're not looking about you're not looking at a huge huge salary. I mean he's got a, a history of being an injure you know of injuries, uh, at least in the last couple years anyway. Um, I, I wouldn't be opposed to saying, hey, do we want to you know when we're looking for a fourth outfielder next year because you don't have anyone who's ready made to come into the come in from the minors. Well, so what do they? they and, well, what they have to decide is how do they feel about Roman Quinn? How do they feel about Adam Hazley? I mean, these are guys that that are going to need to be on major league rosters next season. So, you know, do you with their concerns on the pitching staff side of things? You know, like where do you spend that? Let's just say ten million dollars on Corey Dickerson. Like, is that the best use of your financial resources in twenty twenty? when you have all of these holes in the pitching staff. That would be my only counter-argument to that. In an ideal world, would the Phillies like to have Corey Dickerson on their team? Maybe. But I just don't think that's where they're going to spend their money. That's, that's my, only, my only point on that. Well, so Roman Quinn. Um, I know you can't trust him. I get it. He's our, he's our eligible. He's arbitration after this yeah. season. Um, the guy is just ne- he's never healthy. It's a shame, man. It really is, because he, I, I think for the first time he was really starting to figure it out. Well, he was, and he did this a little bit last year too when he came up. Yeah, I, there I was know. a stretch last year where he was really good. Um, and I like, I like what he brings. I like, I mean, he's obviously he's an he's an elite defensive outfielder. He's got great speed. Um, he can, he's got a good bat. He can, you know, he can hit. Um, so there's there's a lot to like about him, but. You know he's going to be he's going to be 27 next year. Uh, never really had a full time role. Can't stay healthy. I mean, it's almost a guy where it's like, yeah, well, do we want to count on him as the four? I mean, I don't I don't mind Roman Quinn being the fifth outfielder, but do we got to you know? Yeah. And then Hay and then Hazley. I mean, that's the interesting one too because you know maybe I mean Hazley was brought in to, to play this year almost out of necessity. But I think you're starting to see some of you know the fact that he's not quite, not quite fully baked <laughs> to, to come yeah, up yeah, and you. play at the major league level. Plus, he's got options left. I mean, he's wildly controllable. Um, so I, I, maybe you start him down in the minors again next year. And he's I mean, he's on your forty, and you like the, the, the future. But he's only he's still only twenty three, and you know I yeah I think, I think that, that, that that'll work itself out. Do between now and the end of the season. You know, I think that that'll that'll iron itself out with him specifically uh, cuz he's going to get some opportunities. We'll see. Yeah. Um okay. 
Here you go. Which players acquired on or around the trade deadline would you like to see brought back in 2020? Uh, I mean, you know, I think that we talked about the relievers earlier in this, uh, you know, in this episode. And I think that if they continue to pitch the way that they have, uh, not only would I like them back, but I would imagine that they will be back. Uh, don't have the specific contract information up in front of me, but I well, believe so that Hughes is definitely under contract for next season. Well, there's a team option. Yeah, t- okay, yeah. There's, yeah. A, there's a team option. For and I believe it's $3 million, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that's a good question because he's currently, he's currently uh, 4.5. Okay. So, um, you know what? I know where I, know where I can find it. Um, <laughs> the the so, power of the internet. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but, I, I mean, Jared yeah, Hughes. It's $3 million. Yeah, it's it a $3 million. Yeah, it's a $3 million. It's three? Okay. Yeah, it's um, $3 million team option. Yep. Yeah, so I mean, I you know he's a guy I think that you absolutely bring back, especially because he's got a history of being a really good reliever um, uh, in in Major League Baseball in the National League for for a while, you know, with the Milwaukee and the and the Reds. Um, so I think like he he's a guy you definitely want to consider bringing back. Um, Mike Morin's arbitration eligible next season, so uh, again yeah. he might be back. Um, Blake Blake Parker. Uh, he's a free agent, I believe. Yeah. And Blake Parker is also arbitration eligible, so they'll have decisions really? to make. Yeah, he's he's a arbitration three, and then he's an unrestricted free agent in twenty twenty one. So, right. yeah, I mean, we'll see. I don't know that they bring all three of those guys back, but uh, you know, again, I, I hate to sound redundant, but I think that the next five weeks will probably dictate how the Phillies handle those options but considering that they're all going to be relative uh, relatively cheap arms and i think uh, and this will kind of lead into our next question i think that the phillies are going to make a significant financial investment in the starting rotation this offseason whether it be through a trade of a player with a big salary or one of the more enticing free agent options that are going to be available i think that's where they're going to do their spending at least that's where i think they should do their spending so they might oh, yeah. be able to bring in some quality arms or retain some quality arms at a relatively cheap price at, in the bullpen there yeah, so you're right. There's a lot of interesting decisions that are going to have to happen in, in the in the in the pitching staff in general. I mean, Vargas is under he's under contract for next year, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yes. So I mean, there's a guy that's going to be back, and you know, Noel is going to be back. Um, you know, Velazquez and Eflin, where they fall in, in this with this group is to be determined. I mean, that, there's a lot of questions there as well. Um, <laughs> and then our boy. Who, by the way, was warming up for a high level situation I know. I'm out. I'm out. Night. He's not my boy anymore. I'm out. <laughs> Nick Pavetta? Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out in the bullpen. I'm out as a starter. I, I'm just totally out. There's Com- Completely out. That's, total out that, that's an observation in, in a lot of different ways. I just, I'm out. <laughs> Time to move on. He doesn't have it. And uh, okay. I can't do Zach Eflin next year either. Like, you can't tell me. Like, in no world. All right, like I'm just say this emphatically, the Phillies can not bring back some combination of Zach Eflin, Nick Pavetta, or Vince Velasquez. I'll give you one. So take your pick. It, for me, it would be Velasquez. He'd be my five because I think that he can more often than not give you five innings and, and keep you in a game. So it would be he, that would be my guy. And I, I also like his uh, mentality a little bit more. I like like I like his makeup a little bit more. I like you know what I'm gonna say. I think Vince Velasquez has balls. That's what I think. Um, so take take of that or take from that what you will. They all have options. Yeah, I, I just think that he's the guy that that actually has a has, you know I 
I like Vince Velasquez. So if I had to do one of them, it would be him. I don't necessarily need to do any of the three, but you cannot bring back two or all three of those guys and try to slot them into this rotation next okay, season. Okay, so here's here's here, that's, um, it's a good. I'm, I want to bring this up. This is a good thing. I mean, I, I know it's it's weird that we're talking about next year when there's so much still to happen this year, but just just you know, play along with me for a second. So Noel is an obvious obviously back. Arietta's under contract next year, so he's back, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Vargas is under contract next year, so he's probably in your rotation, right? So if if you're bringing one of these three guys back and you say you're okay with Velasquez as your five, that means that there's really only one spot open in the rotation, not more than one. Is that enough? Well, uh, yeah, I, I think that there's one. If that's the case, if if the other four guys are going to be the guys that you named, then there's one player that I think that that would make that work. Do you know who this player is? I'm curious to see who you're who you're going to suggest. It would absolutely be Garrett Cole. You, you go. Well, I mean, he's the free. He's the big free agent signing, right? That it's got to be. It's like if you're going to do Nola, Arietta, Vargas, Velasquez, then you have to pair Nola with a stud. It's and and that's the way that I see it. Um, I don't know that they will do that. I, I, you know, I think that there's going to be a, a hell of a price to pay there. But could they, could they go out and do the Cole Hamels thing? Yeah, actually, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be totally surprised by that. But I just don't. I, I think the Phillies understand like that you can build whatever bullpen you want, but you you have to have two guys, three guys that you can stack in your rotation and and hope. The, they, they can carry you. And that's the biggest reason why we can't even, if the Phillies make the postseason, it's hard to construct a path to being successful because an, a rotation of Aaron Nola and Jason Vargas and Vince Velasquez in the postseason isn't good enough. Like, they know that, right? Like, and even if the offense improves next season, they still know the reality that their rotation is not good enough to hold up in October. And that's the whole point of this. And with JT Real Muto in his prime, with Bryce Harper in his prime, with Reese Hoskins, which one more question and then we'll wrap things up here in his prime. They know that like now's the time to go. You can't waste these prime years with one one good starting pitcher and then and you know four coin flips. You can't do it. So I think that they know that, and that's why I think that's where they're going to invest their money. And I don't think you're wrong that they're going to go after a free agent, uh, free agent starting pitcher, or or try and trade for a starting pitcher. I definitely think that's a thing that they're going to do. But I will say this about Garrett Cole. Uh, first of all, really tough for Houston to let him walk away. Right when they got the kind of team that they have, okay, that's number one. Number two, he's a California kid, okay, uh, and his brother-in-law happens to play for the San Francisco Giants, and that's Brandon Crawford. Mm-hmm. And Farhan, Farhan mm-hmm. Zahidi, uh, from L.A., probably saw him pitch, talked to him a lot because he, he pitched at UCLA, right? He's a UCLA kid. How enticing would it be to get? Garrett, for Garrett Cole to go to San Francisco next year, who you know they brought they didn't trade Bumgarner because they you know they wanted to make the push with him. Maybe yeah, he's, he's a UCLA kid, right? Cole, yeah. who Cole? Yeah, yeah. Garrett yeah. Cole went to UCLA. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I there's something about you know you're going to hit that free agent market and you're going to sign this huge contract. If you have an opportunity to pitch where you grew up or close to where you grew up. I mean, yeah, he's from Yeah, Southern but California, I mean, he, but he is a Scott Boris guy. You know, John Middleton and Scotty B, so. Oh, 
tight. <laughs> They're tight. Yeah, I, it's, 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 it's just, just wanted to throw that out there. I, yeah, no. I, yes, I, I think the absolutely. Phillies will be in the hunt, but I don't necessarily know if – if they would be the number one option for Garrett Cole, let's just put it that way. So uh, we actually did have a couple more questions, but I want to I want to hit on this one specifically, and I want to try to be quick about it, uh, namely because I have to go soon. <laughs> but uh, so Andrew Shipatovsky, I, I think I have this right. He he, uh, I think is a listener of the show, good guy. He's a meteorologist, by the way. K E Z I nine, yeah. How about that? All right. So anyway, he asks about: uh, Would you trade Reese Hoskins in the off season? And I think it was Joe Giglio, your guy, um, who brought this up uh, recently. And he says, you know, like Reese is a good player, and it's it's nothing against Reese, but maybe the path to most effectively fixing the the Phillies pitching staff issue is to go and make a deal. And, and send Reese Hoskins and, and try to slot in a two or a three in return. And then you would maybe use Alec Boom at first base when he comes up and, and you leave Scott Kingery over at third. Like that would be the, the way that it would play out. Um, it's, it's actually, I don't think that's like a troll job take by him. I, I think that there's some value in Reese Hoskins and it would be one way to maybe a little bit more creatively get you back a starting pitcher um your what are you, what's your thought on that nope and is I that not, is that born out of the fact that you think that reese hoskins is is just a very well, valuable player that you can't part ways with no there's multiple there's multiple things one i think i've watched enough of reese hoskins over two and a half seasons to know that he's got a really nice approach at the plate yes he's struggling right now and that's why you know it's brought up let's trade reese hoskins because he's not being with the player that we want him to be at this point and he's got some value and he's you know whatever Okay, fine. I, but I've watched him for two and a half seasons, and I like what he looks like at the plate in general. And I think that he's a guy who will figure it out and will get it back and will be a productive, you know. All, you, know he, you even pointed it out on Monday. I think it was Monday uh, when you said that his um, his on-base percentage dipped below uh, 370 for the first time since opening day. Yeah, that's yeah. despite all this, right? So I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, to me, that's a player you I want in my lineup. I want a guy like that in my lineup who's going to get on base at that at that clip, um, and have has pop, which will come back. Um, yeah, he can't hit two thirty. Yeah, he's got to hit a little bit better than that. He's got to be in the two fifties, two sixties. But if that's the case, if you give me a cleanup hitter who's hitting two sixties, hits between thirty and forty home runs, can drive in a hundred and, and, and get it on base at three seventy, I'm not trading him for for a pitcher. I'm not trading an everyday player who can do that for a guy who can pitch thirty two times a year, thirty three times a year. What am I doing in the other hundred and thirty games? No. No, no, no. I, it's not yet. I'm, not I'm mostly, I'm mostly with you there. If, if there was, if it was the, the absolute perfect situation, and I, I couldn't even envision the name that would go in this scenario. But if it was the right situation, I would consider it. But I, in, in principle, I would stick with Reese Hoskins. I mean, that would be my preference. I, I like him. I think the Phillies envision multiple years of marketing Reese Hoskins and Bryce Harper and Scott Kingery together. You know, I, I just don't foresee them doing that. I don't think that's going to happen either, but it, it's, it's an interesting scenario. Um, I know what your one last thing is here. I, I think you kind of teased it earlier in the show. Why don't you, why don't you go ahead? Bob, you're the gambling guy. Uh-huh. What were the odds on last night's game between the Houston Astros and the Detroit Tigers, with Justin Verlander pitching against his former team, the worst was the worst offense in baseball. What were the odds pregame 
of that. Uh, well, according to DraftKings, the Astros were a minus 560 money line favorite, meaning that you would have to bet $560 to win 100 in return. Isn't that crazy? Crazy. I, I can't think of a baseball game ever that I've ever seen, ever, that had that big of a disparity on the money line. I've never seen that before in my life. I've seen a couple approach four. Um, yeah. Every now and then you'll see like a 370, 380. But I've never seen anything in the mid-fives in my entire life. And I can tell you, um, DraftKings, uh, their representative actually reached out to to me today about this. Um, It was the biggest upset in Major League Baseball in at least the last 15 years. Yeah. So So in case you you meant, we didn't say that, but the, the Tigers won. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, in a crazy ninth inning uh, at the end of the game, but the Tigers won, win the game, um, and the Tigers. The Tigers were what to bet the Tigers. It wasn't five sixty. They were what four something. Right? Usually, it pays out like around uh, like a split half. So it'll, it was probably plus three something actually. Okay. Yeah. I, well, I, you know, I know for a fact because I, I they had a uh, I saw something online that you could you could have taken the Tigers. Through five innings at plus three seventy. That's amazing. That just is amazing. through five innings. So in other words, they just had to they just had to be winning the game in five innings. They could have lost it at the end. You would have been plus three seventy on betting the Tigers, and then they go ahead and win the game. Vegas had to clean up on that game last night. Oh, I'm sure they killed it. And you know what that game probably did? It's not that, and I, I don't know this for a fact. I'm not too sure that many betters. I think veteran betters, people that are willing to lay big numbers, big amounts of money, they'll stay away from a game like that. They know that baseball is just too too goofy. But what that game probably did was just murder people's parlays last night. You know, that's the type of game that you kind of just tuck away into a, a 5 or 16 parlay just to, to juice it up a little bit. And uh, uh, I'm sure, I am sure that that crushed people. Absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. Absolutely so, unbelievable. There you go. And then, and then, of course, Verlander after the game. Doesn't talk to the the Detroit, the, free, Detroit press. free Press, right? Yeah, <laughs> which which sent mainstream media uh, asunder today. It was pretty- so my my <laughs> I know, and you I think uh, you're obviously the veteran reporter here. My thing with this is Verlander said that there was prior unethical behavior. Right now, my my thing looking at this from the outside in and not knowing the context is that Verlander comes across as a baby and looks soft. I don't know what the reporter did. I mean, maybe he's an absolute jackass. And, you know, if we had the full story, we would understand why Verlander was so emphatic about this. The only thing I'll say that makes me feel like there might be something to it is that he preemptively told them that this was going to happen and that he reached out after the fact today to try to explain his side of it as well. So it makes me feel like the reporter might not be awesome or has not been awesome in the past to Verlander specifically, but there's a difference between taking a couple cheap shots that are athletic-based and maybe doing something that that had a little bit more malice to it. So I don't know what happened there, but it's it's a weird situation. Yeah, I'm sure it'll, I'm sure it will come out. Um, I'm sure whatever whatever took place will somebody will unearth it. Uh, but I think that if if Verlander look and here's this is all I'm going to say on, on on the fact you know I I would I would never sit there and say that it, that a team should prevent a specific media person from not you know accredited accredited media person from uh, attending a function that other media members are going to unless there's just cause um what people in this town might remember back uh in the final year of veteran stadium when they had that preseason game that was canceled between the uh, eagles and the ravens um, because the turf was all screwed up at the vet Um, the eagles practiced on it later that week and the eagles asked the media to not 
show up. You know, it was a closed practice because they were trying to fix the turf. And the uh, the Daily News and Comcast Sportsnet sent photographers up in a um, in a helicopter uh, to take pictures of the Eagles practicing from up above the vet. And then the next couple of days, the Eagles did not allow the Jesus. Daily News or the Comcast Sportsnet into their practice facility, but they allowed the rest of us in. Like we were all all allowed in, but those two teams, those two um, entities, weren't allowed in. Again, I, I don't I don't believe in that. That's that's you know. That's people just doing their job, and you are you are you know you have a right to you know they have a right to be there. The right thing to do would have been for Verlander to just listen to the guy, ask questions, and not answer them, or give him a one-word answer and move on to the next question. You know that would have been the right thing to do. That said, him reaching out to the newspaper, to the Detroit Free Press, in advance, and letting them know. This I'm not talking to this guy. If you want, I'll do an interview with your paper. Send somebody else. Just don't send him. And then the paper doesn't respond to it. I mean, I don't know. I yeah, mean, that's it's, that's it's partly bizarre. on the paper too. I mean, so yeah. so to me, it became it became a battle of egos is what it really became. And that's why you know to me, somebody needed to be the bigger person. Whether it was Verlander or whether it was the Detroit Free Press, somebody needed to to you know break off the pissing match. And do what was right to prevent this from happening. And now what we have is we have an unnecessary story about this happening, and it makes everybody look bad. Yeah, it, it'll be very. I'm very curious to see what emerges from that story uh, in, in the next day or two, because, like you said, I think we're going to hear a little bit more about it. Uh, all right, so we're back on Monday afternoon, 5 p.m. on 610 ESPN live uh, on your AM dial, and we podcast those shows as well. So make sure that you check that out if you do happen to miss it. And uh, also be sure to check out the rest of the shows in the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. We have Snow the Goalie, Flyers Podcast, you and Russ Joy do a great job with that. Flyers season revving up in a couple weeks. We obviously have Crossing Broadcast with Russ and Kevin. I believe they dropped a new episode this morning. Uh, so make sure that you give that a listen if you've not. Gambling it is football season. Betting season is officially upon us in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. We have Broadlines, which will be our gambling-based podcast. Kyle will be on that. I'll be on that as well. Jason Zernicki of BetNewJersey.com will be on that. And then, of course, you always have uh, our two soccer podcasts as well, Crossing Broad FC, Phil Kaidel, Rush Joy. Kevin jumps in on that one. And then it's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid and then a rotating cast of uh, characters on that podcast as well. So be sure to check all of those shows out. Guys, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and no, I just want to remind people also that they can uh, – uh, they can uh, uh, leave us a five-star review on uh, on Apple Radio or Apple Podcasts. Sorry, Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. And if you do, we'll read it here on the show. Um, and were we supposed to do a commercial, Bob? Not to my knowledge. Not to my knowledge. Not yeah. to our knowledge. All right. I just wanted to check on that. Yeah. I, didn't know if we had, I didn't know if we had one yeah. that we were supposed to do. We if we were, forgot. then it, guess what? It's it's being edited into the front of this podcast anyway. So <laughs> That's right. That's right. If we You'll be hearing from it, Russ if, if Russ, we were. Yeah. Russ's voice will start yeah. the Crossed Up podcast when this is published tomorrow morning. Uh, so for, for Bob Wankel, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you Monday on 610 ESPN Radio.